Well, good morning to each of you. It is uh, so amazing. I, I find it so inspiring to be gathered together collectively with a body of believers and unitedly having our hearts turned towards God and just allowing the Spirit of the Lord to speak to us. That is absolutely the most uh, inspiring uh, experiences in my life that I can, uh, can uh, that I can relate with it is it is a blessing and you all have been such an inspiration to me and so I want to thank you for that and I love your prayers and I appreciate it deeply and I trust in them and I, I invite you to continue uh, I won't go to the memory, memory selection this morning brother Jay referred to it already and thank you for that I uh, see my time is uh, I know there's so much food that's waiting, and I would be saddened if I would be the cause of it to be toasted. So I'll do my best to uh, stay within the perimeters of my time. All right, let's. Uh, so I, I, I endeavored to be practical um, because I believe the Anabaptists, when they uh, made their their move. Their primary focus was not theology, rather uh, a message similar to Jesus, and that is to go and do. And that is our ministry. That is our call. I'm not belittling theology. I love theology. But, friends, life must be made challenging and encouraging for us to do. And that's my heart cry. So this morning I want to be <clears throat> give you a message from the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, of another, what can we say, another uh, arm of authority that God has ordained for his glory, for his cause, <clears throat> and that arm of authority is called the home. The home is a place where God's authority is to be expressed in and through. And the home is the school of mutual unselfishness and duty, where love is continually learning its true work. And so when you think about God using a means that he ordained, Think about the home as one that it is called to, to be used in that capacity. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we'll read a number of verses here. And so the theme verse is in verse 7. We'll read in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether ye go to possess it. And see that word go. It is a call to go and make application. And thou that, that thou mightest fear, or fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy sons and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that they and that sorry, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel. Observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk to them 
when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine heart, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. And so when you look at that passage, and we could read on, and uh, when we look at that passage, I, I see from the heart of God a very, can I say, a family-oriented teaching. It is a family of believers. And he hones it down to even the home as being a family, and he gives some guidance and direction for that. So when we look at that verse, in verse 7, Thou shalt teach them diligently. I like that adjective that he puts along in with that. Diligently. Not just teach, but diligently. And that obviously implies to me that it does come uh, uh, with a challenge. And so we're supposed to teach, teach them diligently. And shall talk of them. When thou sittest, when thou walkest, when thou liest, and when thou risest. That is when we are to be. And how many woke up this morning and said, good morning, Jesus? All right. Continue that. Continue that. That's very important. Good for you. Uh, it starts off the day on the premises in which we should. So when I think about this home, when I think about it, I look at uh, most North American homes, or too many, I should say. Maybe I'm revealing uh, ours, I don't know. But uh, uh, many North American homes today are a little bit like an airport terminal. You know, you, these planes, they fly in, they land, and all oh, we scurry off of, that, off of the plane and... Then we quickly grab our phones and we catch up on our social media, on our, on our emails. And, and as we kind of go down, and then we go and hit those walkways, those moving walkways, and we just hammer down on them. And then we get to the next terminal. And then we, uh, we might grab a bite to eat quite quickly. We just quickly go to <coughs> Starbucks and we buy, you know, whatever they have to offer quickly because it's got to be quick. And then we on to the next plane and take off. And we're all busy doing good things. Wonderful. Well, does that give you an illustration of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7? And, uh, and I see that, you know, we as, uh, you know, businesses, they're important. And yes, we got to do that. And so our homes, they just are a place where we land occasionally in preparation to take off again. And so... Meetings to go to. And uh, I, I, as, as pastors, uh, how are our homes? Are they like an airport terminal? Or are they what God's design us for? Or we come home and, and uh, out of school and we just kind of land and home and we're quickly grabbing our stuff and getting ready for the next recreational event. Or we come back home and we, yeah, we land. We land quite heavily into this lazy boy and social media. Da-da. And we're just instantly exiting our home in mind and heart and communicating with the world and friends and such like, serving the net. How is our homes? Are they an airport terminal? Or are they meant? Or for, for what is it meant? Biblically, I want for us to tediously go through this verse. 
And let's take a look at what it says. It says the type of home that we are to establish for the glory of God is one, number one, is to teach diligently. diligently. Well, I can tell you one thing for sure, that teaching is a, has a pretty grim outlook if we don't take time to do it. If we just use the home as the, a place to, to land and exit. It's not, not only that, we're, we know we're, we're, to, we're to, to sit. Yes, brothers? It's called a time to sit. It's important. Not restless. And, you know, it's a place that we are to come home to. And that we have time to sit. The book of Ephesians. The first number of chapters, it, talks, it teaches us how to sit with Christ. Secondly, it teaches us how to walk. And thirdly, it teaches us how to stand. And if we want to learn how to stand, we first must understand how to sit and to walk. If you don't know how to sit, you will never have the grace to stand. It's important, dear friends. We must take time. And then to walk, by the way, not run, underscore walk. Cool it. Cool your jets. Just make the home a place where you can walk and not run. And then it says, lie down. And I think that is saying in layman's terms, go to bed on time, in decent time. I think it's very important because I know how I feel if I don't. I become Scrooge, Grouch, and everything else that comes with it. And it's not a way that the light of the gospel can shine in and through my life. It's important. These things, we casually look at them and think, okay, yeah, well, we'll get there when we get there. No, the Bible says that we're all supposed to lie down and go to bed on time, in decent time. And I realize that's not always the case, that it's possible, but in general that is um, important. And uh, rising up at a time that accommodates an interactive time. I think it's important that we look at the home structure as very basic but very, very important. These things are hard to do if we don't spend time together as a family. Prayer, worship, fellowshipping with God. Because further on in Deuteronomy chapter 6, there was a threat that he, or a danger that he warned if these things are not kept. Then be aware lest thou forget the Lord. How many times when we find ourselves in a really, really, really tight schedule and we avoid all, or we neglect, I should say, all these attributes and these things that God is teaching us for in the home, we, avoid, we, we neglect that, then we are on the move. How many times do we have to confess that we forgot about God? An entire day possibly went through and never a thought given. Shame on us. And there we have to come, come to, to grips with the fact. Another place where it talks about, unless the Lord builds the house, the builder's labor is in vain. The home is for, the perf uh, yeah, is for uh, uh, perfecting the masterpiece of the gospel. A home where God is reflected. They should seek the Lord. And it's a thing that, it's a place where we can come together and, uh, and, and be fulfilled in our, in our homes. So in that home, obviously another thing, a very key component, a key aspect of a, a, a godly home is a godly 
marriage. And I want us to understand, I will give you some, uh, some scripture to think about. And when I think about marriage, that is to be uh, the, 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 the very hub or the core uh, of, of marriage is to be the cross. Unless a husband and a wife understand the cross, they cannot understand each other. Your marriage is very similar to a, to, a, to a conversion. It begins at the cross. And when you think of two individuals coming together, it must be on the cross. Not only does the resurrection follow the cross, if we are not on the cross, then we cannot uh, find the resurrection grace. And that applies in a marriage, husband and wife. Note that the very things said about Christ and the church are true to husband and wife. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, when I think about this here verse, and I are these uh, verses, beginning in uh, verse 21, I want for you to take note on a, a word that links marriage and the church together. It's inseparable. And that word is as, A-S. And that their word is the word that links marriage and the church. It's inseparable in the sense of it, they're linked together. And so let's read uh, these verses, and I will try to highlight them as we go down through. Submit yourself, in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5, Submit yourself one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word that he might present it on, or to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth, and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall join to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. In that scripture, I didn't count, but there are many. As unto the Lord, as Christ, the head of the church. As Christ also loved the church. And such like. So when you think about uh, the Christ and the church and marriage. I want for us to consider one thing. If you want to see a window into a marriage relationship, look at their relationship with the church. 
It's inseparable. It is a, a very, very obvious picture into a relationship when you think about Christ and the church and a husband and wife. It's important for us to understand that. Because unless there are circumstances and situations that come about that divide, our attitudes, dear friends, one to another, our love for one another, is a, a revelation of, or sorry, our love for the church is a revelation of our love in marriage. Because look at what the parallel that it makes five, six, maybe seven times throughout that scripture. There's a direct link. Inseparable. Marriage is a covenant. And it's a, it's a relational covenant. We are covenant people. And how we, we, we uh, re, uh, view and respect our covenant to Christ and the church is how we are, or how we become covenant people. And then there is the marriage covenant that we make. And I want us to understand these marriage covenants are binding. They are binding, friends. It really is. And I'm going to ask, um, so when we think of covenant people, we think of Israel. But today, Jew and Gentile alike, God's covenant people are his people. And we are a part of that as his covenant people. So when we think about covenant, let's look at the marriage covenant. How many of you all have been married uh, five years or less? Raise your hand. Five years or less. No, anybody married for five years or less? Okay. Five years, between five and ten years. All right, so there's a few. Ten to, <clears throat> I don't know when. How many over ten years? All right. For all of you over ten years, how many times have you sat down with your spouse face to face and reviewed the marriage vows that you made? How many? Anybody? Precisely. That's very common. Let me ask you a question. If the pilot of a plane that you are flying would not adhere to his biannual obligation to stay current with what he is about to do, how comfortable would you be to fly with that pilot? If he would neglect his protocol, if he would neglect... So the... Uh, the FAA mandates that a pilot is reviews every 24 months minimum that he needs to go through and review and be taught and be engaged to understand or to maintain his, his uh, pilot license. And there's many more details about it. So I make that as one comparison. It's of significance, right? And, okay, so how many uh, businesses here have a mission statement? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. A mission set. It's important. All right. So, marriage. Is it of greater importance than your business? Is it of greater importance than, your, uh, than a pilot? Do you think it'd be kind of important to review your marriage vows? How many, so, so none of you, from what I understand, reviewed your marriage vows. Um, let me do that for you this morning, just so you understand. How many questions did you answer on your wedding day? I realize that's a day that there's rose-colored glasses on, and you know, it's like just for the moment. You know, the bishop goes through all that, and most times at the end, it's like, Oh, now let's get on with the show. Let's get these two right hands put together and get on. So, so it's important that we understand what these are saying. 
So marriage vows, and, some, and this might differ a little bit. But first of all, it says, do you believe that matrimony is an ordinance instituted of God and confirmed and sanctioned by Jesus Christ that you must therefore enter upon it in the fear of God? And you all said? Did you say it with that enthusiasm that day? How did you say it? Did you say what? How did you say it? I do. All right. And then he asked the bridegroom, do you confess and declare that you are unmarried and free from all other marriage relations, and get this, and engagements whatsoever? And what did you say? It sounds pretty grim. What did you say? I, it's got to, it had to sound much better than that day. How did you, what, what did you say? That's right. He then likewise looks at the bride and he asks the same question. And then he goes on to say to the bridegroom, now, listen carefully. Will you, in the presence of God, and all these witnesses take the sister by your side and you're already saying in your heart, why of course I am. Why do you think we're here? And then he goes on to say, to be your wedded wife. Yeah. Okay. And uh, will you, all right, now here's, remember this is a covenant. Will you love and Cherish her. Provide and care for her. When things go well? No, he goes on to say, will you provide and care for her in health and in sickness? In prosperity? In adversity? Exercising what? Patience. Kindness, forbearance toward her, living with her in peace as becometh a faithful Christian husband. Am I done? Forsaking all others. Keep yourself only unto her as long as you both shall live. And what did you say? Without a doubt, you said, I will. And that I will is inscribed in glory. It is recorded as a covenant. And he looks at the bride. Will you in the presence of God and these witnesses take the brother by your side, and you can use your na their name, to be your wedded husband? Will you love and cherish him <clears throat> in health and in sickness, in prosperity, in adversity? Listen to this. Share with him the joys and the sorrows of life. Exercise patience, kindness, and forbearance toward him. Live with him in peace as becometh a faithful Christian wife. And again, forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto him as long as you both shall live. And you said... So do that again. I think it should have a little bit more. What do you say? That's right. And that I will is deemed as a covenant. And what is it? Uh, and so we go on. And then you say, okay, then the bishop says, will you take each other by the right hand? Well, this was the moment that you were waiting for. And so they join their right hands. And then the blessing is prayed upon and you're bound together as one.
in summary. So dear friends, my question to you is, how are you doing? How are you doing to live out that covenant? And my suggestion to you as husband and wife is, there is a date, I think, it's called February the 14th. Am I right? You all know what that is? All right. Suggestion. Next time, if you can, you grab a bouquet of flowers and the tea of your favor or coffee, as long as it isn't Starbucks. Tea of your favor and you sit together face to face and you bring out those marriage covenants that you made and you look your spouse straight in the face without a question and you ask husbands you look your wife in the eye and you say how am I doing and then shut up and listen Why should we not be held accountable to any, uh, a covenant that is binding for life? And how do you suppose that we can day to day, year after year, be faithful to that covenant without any review? It's important. It's absolutely important. This is not just something to make a day good. This is something that God designed and, he, and this covenant is something for us to review from time to time and hold ourselves accountable to it. And ladies, the same thing. You ask your husband, how am I doing and living out the covenant that I made? Love, cherish, etc., etc.? forbearing see forbearing is when when an obstacle comes on the way that you don't like it's not smashing into it or removing it when I think of forbearing is you're not going to change the personality or some things about your spouse so you have to forbear and not beat it to death and get it out of the way but forbear and that is the description I like to give because every single one of us have something about us that is not lovable. Right? Okay, admit it. And that requires forbearance on behalf of your partner because there's something about you that you possibly can't necessarily change but it sure isn't lovable. And therefore we're called to forbear. Anyhow, just a, a, a few notes about those wedding covenants that we make in life. They're not to be made lightly. So in the, in the Greek language, there are four words that describe love in, the, in, in different ways. It's the agape love, and the phileo love, and the historic love, and the eros love. The agape love means a love that is pure enough to be used even of God. It is a sacrificial love. That is the agape love. And the phileo love is the love that we have in friendships. You know, we have a phileo love for our friends. And then the historic love is a protective love like a parent has for its children. You know, there's that the uh, the hand and the chicks, that type of that that hand conveys a stoic love, a protective love. That is what historic love is. And then there's the eros love, which is the romantic love. And there's only one entity of which all four loves are to be expressed in and through, and that is marriage. important. Marriage is the only relationship that those four means of love 
are to be expressed in and through. And love is as much a question of the will as it is of the emotion. Fathers, husbands, I should say. Husbands, how many of you always feel like loving? Always. Like, you just, it's just, no. We don't always feel like loving. It's a commitment. It's a covenant. It is, so it's more the matter of the will than what it is of an emotion. If we're going to wait to only love when it feels right, your spouse is going to be deprived. Let's not wait for only when it feels right to love. Let's make it a commitment. So when I, I just want to encourage us as husbands and wives, look seriously at your covenant to God and your covenant to your spouse. It's important. And it goes on then. If the Lord blesses them, and here's, here's one thing I want to point out. Marriage is not a command. Let's understand that. It's a choice. And to have children is not a command. But the Lord has designed it such that if he gives us that grace, we can have children. And if we do have children, that's what I want to focus on, is that we are vested with a responsibility to train them up in the way they should go. That is what the scriptures are saying. By word, reading and exhorting, and correcting, and encouraging, and blessing. Listen, my friends, children are a, a, a blessing. There's no question about it. Children are an absolute blessing. And uh, society and the world, and I uh, trust not here, but the church is not exempt with the idea that we want to limit that. And I want to encourage us all to understand that God's design and will is, is to bear children if we can. And so children are a blessing. And they are young and moldable and teachable. And I want for you as husbands, fathers, to think about this. Parents, in your teaching, children will become what you say they are. Mark that down. Children will become what you say they are. Have you ever heard parents say, Oh, you are a brat! Okay, maybe they are. But if you are telling them they are a brat, that is what they will become. They're so terrible, though terrible twos. You know, you just oh really. If you identify them as terrible, that is what they will become. Or why can you never do this? Or you are always. There's two words that should never be in our vocabulary, and uh no, I'm glad it's Sunday. And I'm ready to exit here because you're really going to keep track how often I say never and always. As we teach our children, there are two words that we should never use, and that is never and always. You are always late or you're never on time. That's a lie. But what it does to the child, it affirms to them. And it is, con it is bringing condemnation onto their lives that they do not and should not have to experience. So listen to me. Children will become what you say they are. We are instructed to teach, correct, exhort, and encourage. And the spirit in which we teach and instruct will influence those we teach. Nagging, perfectionism, 
setting standards higher for the children than what you are willing and able to, uh, to, to uh, live out yourself? Have you always or never? So putting, uh, stipulating uh, standards that are, are not achievable, you're frustrating the children. My question to you as parents is, is who do you want your children to impress? The church body? The community? Are they the means that you want to use to bring an identity of, oh, look at who we are? God forbid that you use your children as a means of making an impression to the community. What do others think? That is one of the deadliest motivators that a husband or a wife or a father or a mother can ever impose upon their children. What do others think? The Bible says if you compare yourself among yourself, you're what? Not wise. Okay, so what does that mean? You're a fool. So why are you doing? Why are you purchasing what you're purchasing for your children? Why are you dressing your children the way you do? What impression are you trying to make? What are you using your children for? Children are a window into the home. Ask the teachers. And there's many, many parents today that are aggressively pursuing their vocation with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind because they're fighting to make the point that they are able. Because they've been told throughout their lives because of statements like this that they can't. And these men are out to prove that they can. And they're not going to repeat the atmosphere in which they just came from. Think about it. What are you imposing on your children by setting standards that is to be approved by and scrutinized by the community in which you are in? It's deadly. And it has a lifelong effect on people and their maturity and their view of life. The Bible says in the, in the instruction of, our, of, of, of children is not to spare the rod. Proverbs 13.24 says, He that spares his rod hateth his son, but he who loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And that there mean that that, that is a picture of discipline with a heart of love. It really is. It's a discipline that we cannot uh, afford to lose. We cannot. And I want for us to understand the Bible gives us that instruction to give guidance to our children to mold and to shape them. But I want to give you this example. I wasn't a Christian until I was 28 years old, so my way of raising children was in question, no doubt, because I didn't have the spirit to guide and direct. I didn't have the word to guide and direct. And I praise God today that I, I, I can look back and there was no abuse. And I affirmed that with the oldest son because he would have been the one that would have received any if there was any. And I sat with him and clarified and he clarified, or sorry, I inquired and he clarified that there was nothing, well, other than one incident, which it wasn't physical, but he could see that I was angry. I was undisciplined in my passion, and anger was expressed. And we reconciled that, and we moved on. But I want to tell you, friends, discipline is a biblical guidance that we are called to live out. But there's one thing that John Koblenz, when I, was, when I became a Christian, Irma and I went to seminars and we went to, to seek out guidance and direction for our lives. And John Koblenz taught me this, face, not face to face, but it felt like it when I was sitting in the audience. But he said, before you discipline your child, you must 
discipline yourself. If you discipline a child with an undisciplined spirit, you will crush the spirit of that child. We are called to break their will, but God forbid that we break their spirit. And the way that you break the spirit is an undisciplined discipline. Because you are imposing that emotion upon them that will literally destroy the child. And so, I still remember, and I'll give you this testimony, and after I became a Christian, oh, I was so fearful of how to properly discipline my, child, my children. And I remember we were sitting together as a family around the table, coloring one evening, and Randy, our oldest one, and I gave, I, he gave me the permission to share this story. So I'm saying it uh, clearly. So we were sitting around the table coloring. And Randy, he, it was just time after. I hated disciplining. I hated it with a passion. So I, I become passive. Uh, we'll just, anyway, time elapsed and time elapsed and time elapsed. And that evening we were sitting around the table coloring and then Randy, it just came to a peak. And I says, Randy, we're going to have to do discipline. So I took him from the rest. We went downstairs and I sat him on my knee and I explained to him the wrong that was committed and, he, and, and I asked him if he understands. And yes. And so I put him over my knee and I spanked him. And oh, it hurt my heart. I was just weeping inside. And after I spanked him, I took him in my arms and I hugged him. We cried together. And then I inquired again, do you understand why we had to do this? And he said, yes. And we went back and we sat around that table and started coloring again. And my heart was quivering. I didn't know if I did the right thing or how I did it. And minutes after we were sitting together, Randy looked at me and he says, Dad, and as soon as he said, Dad, my heart sank. He looked at me and he says, Dad, you are a good dad. Brethren and sisters, I can't express anything more than it is a revelation. If it's done in the way that God's plan is, he will receive glory and the child will be blessed. Undisciplined children, you will leave them in the shackles and the bondage in which they are in. You're not doing those children any favor to pacify in any way, shape, or form. An undisciplined child is in bondage and shackled by the wrong in which that they are in. And that needs to be broken. But God, give us grace to do it in a way that the heart can still be bond in love. That the will is broken, but the spirit has life. And God gave me that revelation, that, that experience, that I will never forget. But it takes a time of disciplining my spirit, my heart, that I, God forbid, that I discipline in anger, discipline in a response to my emotion. That's destructive to the core. And those scars are lifelong. So a warning. To break their will and not their spirit. The rod will break the will. But rude, and I, I didn't know what other word to use, but being rude and undisciplined breaks the spirit. And so, understanding the home is the place where the gospel is to be expressed and lived. And through in that is teaching and instructing. And parents, I don't think any of us fully grasp the magnitude of our influence. Teaching is inevitable. 
but there is more caught than there is taught. You can do all the teaching verbally that you want, but if your life isn't lived, that is what is caught. More is caught than what is taught. Brethren and sisters, men and women, fathers, mothers, our teaching, we are teaching. Undoubtedly we are. But let's do it intentionally for the glory of God. An influence of a father is incredibly powerful. An influence of a mother is incredibly powerful. Love, even as Christ loved, and he gave himself for us. You know, so that he might present himself a glorious church without spot and wrinkle. There are, we, we must understand, uh, friends, that it is essential in order to live out this uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We need the grace of God. We need the wisdom of God. We need the guidance of God. We need the power of God. And through it and by it, we can instruct by his will and direction is given for the glory of God and for the good of people. And dear friends, a home is so foundational for everything that follows in life. Let's not forget that. And I could give example after example of things that God will bless if we use his word as guidance for instructing the home and your children. Absent of the word of God will leave hearts of the children void and in despair. Seek the will of God, the help of God. And remember, we are his covenant people as Christians. And let us live out our covenant before God and between one another. God bless you. Let's pray. Eternal Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord. May you guide us and direct us and may each one of us here today purpose in our heart to live out our covenant to you and our covenant to each other. And so Lord, bless us with that, with that grace from day to day hour to hour, moment by moment, enriches with your divine grace. And may you bless each father, each mother here today, each uh, couple. Lord, may you anoint them with grace, love, and mercy. Keep them in your care. Bind them together. Enrich them and keep them. Through Christ we pray. Amen.